Good afternoon. If you'd like to go ahead and taking your Bibles out, we'll be using them in just a moment to talk about a subject that I, I think we can all find in some way to relate to, a subject that I don't think is going to be too far removed from probably every one of us here. Every one of us has probably dealt with this subject before and probably been afflicted by this subject before. Now, we have been spending some time looking at uh, the, the ways in which we can be victorious in Christ. We, we take our context from this series from 1 John chapter 5, verses 4-5, through 5, which tells us that through faith we can have victory over the world. And we have looked at how we can be victorious over sin and how we can be victorious over, over mindsets that oftentimes are accompanied by sinful lives, mindsets such as anxiety or, or despair, boredom. But I want to consider something that we read about in first or not first John and in the Gospel of John. John chapter 16 and verse 32. Here Jesus is preparing his disciples for his arrest. He's preparing his disciples for the trial that, that some of them will, will, for, will see, and he's preparing his disciples for his ultimate crucifixion. And look at the words that Jesus chose. He sought to reassure them during this time by expressing His confidence. In verse 32, says, These, uh, excuse me, Indeed, the hour is coming, yes, has now come, that you will be scattered, each to his own, and will leave me alone. And yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. Though this be a very troubling time, in fact, troubling days were ahead, as His next words indicate, he offers them hope as well. Because we see Jesus exemplifying to us a great deal of hope during a time that most of us would consider to be very dark, to even be hopeless. But he goes on to say in verse 33, "...the things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world." He's saying, I have peace. You can have peace too, because I am overcoming the world, and he demonstrates this through his death and resurrection. That he indeed over, he did overcome the world. He overcame death and shows now that the victory is available for all those who would follow after him and believe, offered to his disciples. Their, their faith can be the victory to overcome. Now, one thing that I think should be fairly obvious to us when we put ourselves in his position is the emotion that should have, in our eyes, should have been more depicted in his, in his actions and in his words. Here he was facing, uh, what, what he knew to come was his crucifixion, and he was going to be taken by the hands of the Romans, by a very large force. He was going to be humiliated. He was going to be treated very vilely, and ultimately was going to die, not for something that he had done, but for the sins of the world. That brings emotion to me, in my mind, of fear. That's a very fearful ordeal to go through. That's a lot of things in front of you that are very scary to have to, to deal with. And as I said, we've deal, dealt with anxiety and boredom and despair. But through the actions, both past and present, through the teachings of Jesus, I also want us to see that He helps us to overcome or to conquer fear as well. Whether that fear be very real or whether that fear be imagined. And yes, this is in some ways similar to anxiety. We know when we talked about anxiety, we talked about panic disorders. These things can have a debilitating effect 
on people's lives. They have very real effects uh, in people's lives. But Jesus can allow us. He can help us through faith in Him to overcome such things. But I also want to suggest, as I mentioned this morning, that not all fear is harmful. There is to be a place in the heart of the Christian for the right kind of fear. Uh, Paul taught, or excuse me, Jesus taught about this in Matthew chapter 10. If you want to flip over there, Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. In this passage, uh, one I believe we referenced in our class this morning, he says there, it says, Do not fear those who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. He was talking about a fear of God. God is the one that holds the ultimate control over, over our eternal future. And God, Jesus says we need to have the right kind of fear. Don't fear those people that, that can only have an effect on your immediate lives, but fear Him who is in control of your entire life. Paul would say in Philippians chapter 2, Philippians 2 and in verse 12, he says there, My beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence also, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So he's talking about here that we, we need to have this fear and trembling, not uh, as, as we will see, not a fear that's, that's baseless, but rather a fear of what we know about God, about who God is, about what He can do and what He has promised to do. It should bring us to have a fear of Him. And when we properly understand whom it is that we are to fear and how faith in Jesus dispels the wrong kinds of fear in our lives, then, it's, then it's, it, it creates an opportunity for us to overcome fears or phobias that rob us of the peace that Jesus offers. So with that in mind, keeping that as the backdrop for what we're looking at, these are the type of fears that we are trying to overcome, things that will rob us of the blessings in Christ, then let's examine this subject of fear. Now the American Heritage Dictionary says fear is a feeling of agitation and anxiety caused by the presence or imminence of danger. What that means is whenever, whenever Jesus saw the Roman soldiers coming, that's the presence of danger. They were there. They were there to do harm. But before they got there, and we, we might consider uh, as, as we get ready to leave here, we're going to get into a, a 2,000, well, no, I'm, I'm going way too low. I'm guessing probably four or 5,000 pound vehicle and hurl ourselves down the road at 50 miles an hour. There is imminence of danger there. It's not right in front of us. We're, we're not head on with another car yet, but the possibility for danger is there. And so fear is this feeling of agitation and anxiety caused by those two things, presence and imminence of danger. But there's another example of fear, and that is the idea of extreme reverence and extreme awe. It is this idea of respect towards a supreme power. So what we see is not all fear is created equal. There are two different kinds of fear. One, one is the one that we will be addressing in this lesson. One is wrong. One is one that pulls us away from, from the blessings we have in Christ. But the other is necessary to have those blessings in Christ. In fact, let's consider this as it's stressed in the book of Proverbs. Look at all these Proverbs real quick that stresses the right kind of fear in our lives. In fact, if we look at the very first proverb, Proverbs chapter 1. <clears throat> Proverbs 1 and verse 7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. 
the beginning of knowledge, the beginning of understanding, the beginning of growing in what, what God desires for us to be is found in the proper fear or reverence for the Lord. Proverbs chapter 8, verse 13 expands on this some more. It says there that the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Pride and arrogance in the evil way and the perverse mouth I hate. The fear of the Lord, understanding who God is, respecting who God is, causes us to hate that which is evil, that which is opposite of Him. But when we get down to Proverbs 10, verse 27, we read another interesting one. It says here, The fear of the Lord prolongs my days, but the years of the wicked will be shortened. Now I think it's important to note, especially right here, that the fact that when we read the Proverbs, we're reading a book of wise generalities. That means that not each and every one of these Proverbs is a prophecy that says this is absolutely going to happen. We have seen several people who, who fear the Lord, who serve Him, and even at a young age, lose their lives. God was not promising that if you fear Me, you're going to have 99 plus years of life to look ahead of you. But He is promising that the fear of the Lord provides a very long, a prolonged life, certainly in the days to come. In the day, in, the, in eternity with Him. We see that. And the wicked and those who are wicked, they have a very shortened life. Because this life that they have, this blink and you miss it life that we all are experiencing now, that's going to be the end. The true end of their life as the only eternity they have is the eternity of punishment away from God. So the fear of the Lord causes us to grow in knowledge. And growing in knowledge in the fear of the Lord, we grow to hate that which is evil. And we know that we are receiving a longer life because of the fear of the Lord. But we also know that we are receiving confidence because of the fear of the Lord. Look in chapter 14, verses 26 and 27. The fear of the Lord, there is strong confidence. And the children will have a place of refuge. We're not worried. when the that, that idea of refuge oftentimes carries with it the idea of a rock. A, a safe place whenever there were storms that were coming. And, and especially if, if you were out at sea and the storm comes up, you want to get to the shore as quick as you can. And if you can't find a place to harbor, you want to find a rock to put yourself behind. Something to block you from the waves and, and from the wind. God is that rock and the fear of the Lord is that, that comfort and confidence that we have that even when we're going through terrible times, we know. We know who it is that we are serving. In verse 27, he goes on to say, The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life to turn one away from the snares of death. In, verse, in chapter 16 and in verse 6, he goes on to say, In mercy and truth, atonement is provided for iniquity, but by the fear of the Lord, one departs from evil. So as we, as we are, if we are in the fear of the Lord, if we have the proper fear of God, respecting who He is, not only do we hate evil, but it makes it much easier to, to turn away from that. Turn away from that from which we hate. It's, it's something that I don't want to do. I won't have any a part of because I, I know who God is and I want to be more like Him and less like the world that He calls me out of. In Proverbs 19, verse 23, it says the fear of the Lord there provides us a satisfying life. The fear of the Lord leads to life and he who has it will abide in satisfaction. He will not be visited with evil. And this proverb really reminds me of Philippians uh, chapter 4, verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I was letting the boys watch a, a clip before the Super Bowl of, of the quarterback for the, the, the Eagles, Nick Foles, who said, they said, what's your favorite Bible verse? You, we all the time see you all praying, and, and you seem like Bible-believing players, so what's your favorite Bible verse? And he's very quickly, Philippians 4, 13. 
I thought, oh, okay. We're gonna, I'm, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can win the Super Bowl through Christ who strengthens me. I can, I can throw the perfect pass through Christ who strengthens me. I kind of I felt bad because what he said next was, we have to make sure we understand this passage in its context. I can have all the money in the world and not, need what I, not have what I need to overcome. And I can have no money in the world and have everything I need to overcome if I have Christ. I can have a satisfying life if I have Christ. That's exactly what the proverb writer was saying. Here in Proverbs chapter 19, verse, verse 23, he's saying the satisfaction of life, or he will abide in satisfaction when the fear of the Lord leads his life. Then Proverbs 22 and verse 4. Uh, Proverbs 22, verse 4 also says, By humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. And again, we're, we, we do see plenty of people who, who live very successful lives based off the principles that you learn from the fear of the Lord, the righteousness that they're called to do. But we also see lots of people that don't have very successful lives in a monetary sense. But the true riches, the true honor, true life comes from the Father. And that comes through the fear of God. One thing that a couple different authors have written was that the remarkable thing about fearing God, this is by a man named Oswald Chambers. He said the remarkable thing about fearing God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. A man named Meister Eckhart said the right kind of fear is the fear of losing God. And I couldn't agree more with these two men. Their words are, are, are very much in harmony with what we've read in the book of Proverbs. But that brings us to the fact that then if there is a right kind of fear, there also must be a wrong kind of fear. And there's a couple things that help us to understand what the wrong kind of fear is. The first one I want to consider is the fear that is groundless, that is baseless. Many of our social and specific phobias fall into this category. And I've got a list I want to put up here of, of some of the common fears, the percentage of people who fear them and their names. I've actually got 12 written down here, but I didn't want to put all 12 up. I'm just going to put the top six. These are the top six things in the world that the population, the biggest population, fear. The first one is disease. There are 20% of the population that fear disease, and that, the, the name for that fear is pathophobia, where we get that pathological and uh, pathogen. Uh, they have a fear of, get, of getting a disease. 20% have a fear of deep water. Now, if you're like me, I find some humor in the fact that we call that bathophobia. Fear of deep water is bathophobia. Also, we have the, uh, another 20% of financial problems. And the reason, again, I, I found humor in a lot of these. Uh, the, the reason we have our financial problems a lot of times is because I ate too much. So you have adophobia. We lose our money in the wrong places. You have a fear of insects and bugs. Uh oh, now we're getting to one that kind of helps hit a lot of other people. And this should come to no surprise to, to Carl and Ann. It's entomophobia. We understand why, why it's called that. And then we got heights. 30% of the population. At number two, the, most, the second most scary thing to the population is heights. That's called acrophobia. But the number one single most scariest thing attacks 40% of the population. Anybody want to take a stab at it? Nope, not death. It's public speaking. It's what I'm doing right now. 40% topophobia are scared to death of public speaking or speaking before a group. But here's what I want us to understand about these. Such fears are oftentimes the result of misinformation. Deep water. Disease. Uh, disease is a terrible one. 
We have misinformation about disease that just absolutely terrifies us of getting something that more than likely we're never going to get. But it fills our hearts and our minds and it controls us. So I don't know how many people that I know that have a great fear of deep water. They, they live nowhere near a body of deep water. Lake Mingo is the deepest water that they live near, and yet they are terrified of that. So oftentimes, these fears are the result of misinformation. Maybe some of those fears in this list are fears that, that you struggle with yourself. I know there's been some of them that I've struggled with in the past. And I want to make sure that we all understand what I'm saying. I'm not saying that if you, if any of these diseases describe, or diseases, that's the top one, any of these fears describe you, I'm not saying, oh, if you have a fear of, of disease, well, you know what? You're a sinner. You've got to repent of that. You've got to change that because you're a sinner. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is we can't let them rob us of the, of the blessings that Jesus died to give us, the blessings of peace and of hope. And so to do that, we need to understand what fear really is. Fear is false education appearing real. False education appearing real. Fear makes problems seem much greater than they really are. It's like that, uh, that German proverb, fear makes the wolf bigger than he really is. And so with exaggerated fears of the problems we face, it's so often that we think we're, we're, it's overwhelming. That, well, I won't go back to it, but the, the public speaking. That one, it gets so exaggerated. I, I, I'm so afraid of that. I, I can't do that. There, there's so much fear that comes with that that, that I'm overwhelmed with the thought of even going to, to someone and, and talking with them even one-on-one. Maybe about things that I love. Things that I, I know all sorts of stuff about, but I'm terrified of that. <clears throat> How many times have we seen maybe this exact same attitude in something like a, like a child? You know, I, I can remember a time when we were trying to convince the boys to, to either, maybe when it was swimming, jump in from the edge of the pool. They already knew how to swim. They were, they were confident in their swimming, but, but no, no, I can't do that. I'm too scared to do that. Go down the slide. You'll enjoy it. No, that slide's too high. I can't do that. And I, I can remember, in fact, I don't remember exactly which one, but I remember a time at the park when I finally just said, enough is enough, and I set you on the slide, and tears streaming down their eyes, they go down the slide. They get to the bottom, and they realize, oh, that wasn't so bad. I thought that was going to be terrible. I thought we were going to go down that slide a million miles an hour and shoot off the end. I don't know what I thought, but I thought it was going to be terrible. And then you come to find out later, oh, they're going up by themselves. They're sliding on their own. They're enjoying it. How many times kids go, you know what? I've been missing out because I was scared of something I had no business to be scared of. That's what fear does. If it's false education that we hold on to and say, oh, this has got to be the truth. This has got to be what's real. And, and it controls us. And that's a wrong type of fear. Another thing that we need to see about fear is a fear that prevents us from enjoying those blessings that we have. The, the Roman poet Horace, you know, a man who certainly dealt with a lot of terrible things in his life, picked the wrong side of a very important battle and put himself at odds with the Roman Empire. Later in life, he, he, he did kind of make amends for that and, and, and help himself, but he understood the idea of fear for a lot of his life. But you know what he said? One of his poems, he wrote, He who lives in fear will never be a free man. Never be free. He is always under the control of his fear. Now, certainly, certainly one who fears cannot be at peace and no true joy at the same time. Peace and fear don't reside at the same place. That's like, uh, that's like asking, will, will, will fresh water and salt water come from the same spring? 
Peace and fear don't come, uh, don't reside in the same place. Those who live in fear will, are living an enslaved and hindered life, away from the fullness of life that Jesus calls us to, something he referred to as life abundant. Another fear that we need to watch out for, another fear that, that will help us see, okay, this is the wrong kind of fear, is the fear that hinders our ability to be of service to God. You know, E. Stanley Jones once said, fear is the sand in the machinery of life. Now, you want to know what that means. Go out here to your vehicle, pop the oil cap off, and take a handful of sand and throw it down in the motor. Fire that baby up and see how long it runs smoothly. See how far down the road you get, and you're going to find out real quickly, okay, I can start to understand what fear is doing to my life. As that motor starts seizing up and can't run properly. For so many people, the, the fear of people or the fear of failure, or the fear of rejection hinders Christians in the very service that they have been called to do, such as personal evangelism, to go and just tell someone about the gospel that has the power to save them. And yet the fear of how things might happen or how things might go, it, it, it bogs them down and stops them in their tracks. Another one is a fear that motivates us to do the opposite of what God wants us to do, to do things that are displeasing to Him. A good example of this was a poll taken of teenagers. And, and among the many things that they feared, 44% feared failing in school. That was a high stress for them. They were, they were afraid that they, that they would not get good grades in school. 33% of, were, were afraid of loneliness. Or, or very closely related to 30% who were afraid of not having a boyfriend or a girlfriend. 28% were afraid of rejection. And, and you know this leads young people to oftentimes do do make poor decisions. I'm afraid of not doing well in school, so I'm going to cheat on this next test. I'm going to, I'm going to try to get uh, some way to get the answers brought into me. Or I'm afraid of being lonely or being rejected or not having a boyfriend. So when, when someone comes that, that says, hey, you know, I'll be your boyfriend, but you're going to have to do what I want you to do, we're, they're willing to make that sacrifice even if they know that's not what they should be doing. Or when our friends, I just want to fit in so bad that I'll be willing to make friends with anybody that will accept me, no matter the decisions they make, no matter what they're doing. I just got to have friends. And you know, we look at that and go, oh, those poor teenagers. Those poor teenagers. They, don't they know? Don't they understand? You don't have to be afraid of these things, but the same exact fears motivate so many adults as well. I'm afraid that I'm not going to do well in my job, so I'm I'm going to try and cut corners and cheat and do this and that to, to help myself get ahead. I'm afraid that my, my wife is, is, is not going to give me what I, what I need, and so I'm going, to, I'm going to go find somebody else that will, and I'm going to commit adultery. Or I'm going to join into a marriage that I have no right to even be a part of because, because I just can't be alone. Fear. The fear of rejection. The fear of persecution. Over the years, that's led even Christians to completely denounce their faith in God. The fear that if I, if I stand up for him, I might even lose my life. So I'm just going to go the other way. Unless we overcome the wrong kinds of fear, then what we are doing is we are giving the devil uh, an armory of weapons to throw at us. We're giving him more flaming darts to toss our way. If we're going to be victorious over him, if we're going to overcome Him and overcome the world, then what we have to understand is that our faith in Jesus helps us to conquer our fear. And you consider what Jesus taught when He taught relating fear to our faith. <coughs> to our faith. Excuse me. Matthew chapter 8. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 8, verses 23 through 27. Whenever the disciples were on the boat with Jesus and this great storm came about, 
And, and it, was, it was tossing the boat to and fro, and they were terrified. And they, they went and they woke Jesus up, and they said, Save us, Lord, you, we're, we're about to die. And in verse 26, he said to them, Why are you, why are you fearful? Oh, you of little faith. He directly relates their, their fear to their faith. Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm, and the men marveled, saying, Who can this be that even the winds and the sea obey him? We see here in this passage, first of all, we see a lot about who Jesus is. But we also see a lot about how he thinks about fear. How he, how he turns that back to, to look within us about what, we, what our faith looks like. In Matthew chapter 14, verses 25 through 33, we read a very similar account as they're on the sea again. And the boat is tossed to and fro. And you think, well, by now they've got it. By now they've figured it out. This is Jesus. He can stop the waves. But we see here in verses 25 through 33, they're out on the boat in the fourth watch of the night. Jesus comes to them walking on the sea, walking on the water. When disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke, saying, Do not be afraid, or be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, Come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. I love, I love reading this account. That is just, it fascinates me uh, to, to no end the, the account of Peter having such a wonderful boost of faith to say, well, if that's you, Jesus, let me come out there to you. And physically walking on water with our Lord. What more do you need? What more do you need? You've already seen the, the waters calmed by this man. And now you are standing on the water with this man. And yet, see what it says in verse 30. When he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. Once again, we see Jesus relating the link between fear and faith. And once again, we also see the mind-blowing power of our Lord. And then in Luke 10, and the boat is tossed to and fro. And you think, well, by now they've got it. By now they've figured it out. This is Jesus. He can stop the waves. But we see here in verses 25 through 33, they're out on the boat in the fourth watch of the night. Jesus comes to them walking on the sea, walking on the water. When disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke, saying, Do not be afraid, or be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, Come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. I love I love reading this account. That is just, it fascinates me uh, to, to no end the, the account of Peter having such a wonderful boost of faith to say, well, if that's you, Jesus, let me come out there to you and physically walking on water with our Lord. What more do you need? What more do you need? You've already seen the, the waters calmed by this man. And now you are standing on the water with this man. And yet... See what it says in verse 30. When he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? 
And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. Once again, we see Jesus relating the link between fear and faith. And once again, we also see the mind-blowing power of our Lord. And then in Luke chapter 12, another passage we'll look at to, to see this relationship. Luke chapter 12, verses 27 through 32. <clears throat> says, Consider... Consider the lilies, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. And yet, I say to you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If then God so clothes the grass, which today is in the field and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you should eat or what you should drink, nor have any anxious mind. For all these things the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knows that you need these things. But seek the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added to you. Do not fear, little flock. For it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. As Jesus taught, He taught His disciples not to be fearful, not to have anxiety concerning even the necessities of life. Because they were in the hands of God. God was going to provide for them, give them what they needed. As one man put it, after reading all this, he said, you know, fear, fear is simply unbelief, disguising as something else. I believe he's about right. Seems like that's what Jesus was saying. Fear is closely linked to the size of our faith. But then Jesus addresses our fears. After he links this connection, he starts addressing them. And the first one that he looks at, or that we're going to look at, is the, the fears that we have in life. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 20, we read there in verse 18 this morning that all authority has been given to him. But what he said at the end of that passage, what he said to, to the disciples to close all of that should give so much hope and strength to overcome fear. He said after telling them to teach all to, come, to observe all that I've commanded you, he says, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now let's stop for a moment and consider the power of that statement. To do that, let's look back over to the book of Joshua. We read this not, not too many weeks ago. Joshua chapter 1. In Joshua chapter 1 and in verse 9, it says, Have I not commanded you, be strong and of good courage, do not be afraid, nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Joshua was hearing almost word for word what Jesus was saying to his disciples in the New Testament. I'm going to be with you always, no matter where you are, no matter when you are, I'm going to be with you. And what did Joshua do with that information? We'd already seen that Joshua believed that God was with them because whenever the, 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 uh, he and Caleb and the other ten spies went in to spy out the land, they alone were the ones that came out and said, we can do this. Now, God can do this through us. But after hearing these words, after being reminded that God is with them, they went on to, to win conquest after conquest until they had overtaken the land of Canaan, defeating... <laughs> Village or, or, or kingdoms with, as they described them, walls to the heavens. Great and powerful nations that they were overconquering because they knew the Lord is with us. <clears throat> with the Lord on our side, who can possibly stand against us? The Hebrew writer says in Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 through 6, 
Let your conduct be without covetousness as you have, uh, or be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? We can see how Jesus starts directly addressing the fears that we have in this life by saying, don't worry about what man can do to you. You have the right kind of fear of God. Let that motivate you in life. The, the Old Testament examples were trust in God. He is with you. He will help you to overcome. And the, the, even the, the writings of the apostles remind us there's nothing that man can do to you to take you out of the presence of God. Trust in Him. He's with you always. In fact, the worst thing that can happen in life as he addresses our fears in life, the very worst thing that we can possibly deal with, it's only death. It's only death. That's kind of the way he approaches it. It's the fear of death that Jesus looks at also. And then we're reminded over and over again through his resurrection, through his victory over death, that he has attained that. Look at Hebrews chapter 2, since we're, we're so close to that. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 through 15. It says, Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power over death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. We don't have to be subject to the bondage of the fear of death anymore. We don't have to be afraid of death because Christ overcame that. Christ went up against death and won. And this led people like Paul to say some very encouraging things and say them in great confidence. In Philippians chapter 1, verses 21 through 23, Paul says, For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. He is referring, he is talking about his literal death on this earth. But listen to the manner in which he talks about it. To live is Christ, to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit for my labor. Yet what I shall choose I cannot tell. For I am hard pressed between the two. And I'm having a really hard time making up my mind which one I want to do more. Stay alive or die. That's a really hard decision for me, Paul is saying. I am hard pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. That's not, a, that's not a conversation I think we probably have too often. That's not a conversation I've had too often in my mind. Man, I wonder what I want to do today. If I, if I want to keep on living or if I want to die. That's the conversation that he is having and that he is talking about. That it is, it is a difficult decision for me because I can be confident in death. I know that, that death is not to be feared. It is just yet but a stepping stone onto to our eternal life. But then Jesus also addresses the fear of what is to come after death. For so many people, maybe it's not necessarily the idea of, of just dying, but what, what, about, what happens next? What goes on after that? What's going to happen for me after I die? And Jesus comforted His disciples. When you talk about the, the, the fear as we consider... The, turn back over to John chapter 14, excuse me. As we consider the fear of public speaking. What's the worst thing that can happen? You say something wrong? I quoted this verse this morning, but I quoted it from Matthew chapter 14. It's John chapter 14. John chapter 14, verse 1. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Jesus was comforting his disciples with a promise of what lies ahead. 
what lies beyond death. And Paul, again, what a wonderful example for our own <clears throat> for our own emotions, especially when it comes to our, to our own fear that we might have of <coughs> the afterlife, after death. Look at what Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 4. Verses 6 through 8, he says, I am already being poured out as a drink offering. The time of my departure is at hand. He is talking about his physical death. And he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have, loved, who have loved His appearing. The confidence that Paul speaks of death and of life after death. Paul is not wringing his hands at the end of his life going, I, I really hope I've done enough. He says, I know. I have kept the faith. We must note that. Because I have kept the faith. Because I have walked in the path of the Lord. Because I have, I have looked to Him as, as the head of the body. As I have looked to Him as my Savior and my King. And I'm going to do what He desires. And that certainly doesn't mean that Paul was absolutely perfect. But he said, I know. I know who I need to be following and I have followed them. And so I know what God is going to give to me. I know that I have the crown of life. And I know that everyone else who is like me, who has the loving of His appearing will receive the crown of life on that day as well. When we overcome fears such as life and death and what is to come, it starts to make some of our other fears seem just a little bit petty. We start to look at some of our other fears and think, you know what, that, that might have been a bigger deal than I was making it out to be. Now, that being said, if I have a fear of deep water and it has just controlled my life and I come to learn this and I realize, oh, you know what, I don't need to be so afraid of that. That doesn't mean that I need to go prove that by scuba diving to the bottom of the ocean. It's not what I'm suggesting. But we can't let those sort of fears rob us from the confidence that we get from Jesus and from His teaching and from His apostles. I found these three quotes. They're from the same place. The complete book of practical proverbs and wacky wit. And they, they really spoke a lot to me whenever I read them. The first one says, feed your faith and your fears will starve to death. When we are building up our faith in Christ, the things that, that oftentimes control us in fear begin to lessen. They begin to not be as powerful as they used to be. And probably my favorite, but not the one that I chose to put on the board, was this one. Fear knocked at the door. Faith answered no one was there. That kind of felt like a Chuck Norris quote to me for some reason. Fear knocked at the door, but when faith is the one that responds to that fear... There's really nothing there to be afraid of. But really, the one that probably says it best is fear and faith cannot keep house together. When one enters, the other departs. That puts it completely up to us. Which one are we going to keep in our house? Are we going to keep faith in here? Are we going to keep faith in who God is and who Jesus is, what He has done, what He has taught? Or are we going to allow Satan to walk all over us with the fear that he loves to, to completely blind us with? If anyone gives us a reason to fill our house with faith. Faith in God, it's Jesus. Through, his, through the signs and the wonders that He performed, the, the, way, the things which God worked in Him through His own resurrection from the dead, proclaiming Him to be the Son of God and through the words of His inspired apostles who overcame so much, their testimony gives us reason to believe in who Jesus was and what Jesus taught. If we wish to overcome fear, Faith in Jesus Christ is the victory. It is the key to conquering our fears. 
Now those things that we, that we had, those things that we know don't have a reason to have fear in life, fear in death, fear in what is to come, they are only available to us if we have kept the faith. We need to believe in Him. To believe in Him more than just the way that word is used so oftentimes, just to, to admit that He is alive and that He is good and that, and that He is important. We need to believe in Him so much that we are prompted to follow in His footsteps. To take His direction and His guidance and to make it our very own. This is where I am going because I am going to heaven. This is what I'm going to do because I am following my Lord. He tells us in so many ways that if we will follow after Him, He is the bread of life. He is the way, the truth, and the life. We can only hope to approach the Father through Him. This afternoon, we have the opportunity to do that. For those who have never yet been baptized for the forgiveness of their sins, who have not confessed Him before, before others, who have not turned away from their former life, this is the opportunity, not that the Lake Street Church of Christ offers, but the opportunity that Christ offers for all. And that opportunity is continually extended, but we must ask ourselves, how much longer do we have? Not that we live in fear, but we live knowing that the time on this earth is limited. One day He is going to return. And that day is going to be a glorious day for those that are found in Him. But for those who are found apart from Him, they have very little, they have no hope. If we can help in any way in either coming, helping you to first come to Christ or if you've already done so, to continue your walk with Him, won't you please come forward right now as we stand and as we sing.